Welcome to Northwest Community Church. My name is Jerry. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. We're going to go ahead and dive right into the message. We're going to be mixing things up a little bit here this morning. The message is actually going to be broken up into two different parts, and we're going to have some more music in between and after. So we are going to be crafting things completely different here this morning because change is good. Amen? We become predictable. Please let us know because we don't want to be doing that. But this morning, we're going to be diving in to a topic that is perhaps a little controversial, I dare say. One of the issues that has really caused a lot of friction and contention in the world of the Western church over the last 30 or 40 years. We're going to be talking this morning about the theology of worship. Of worship. Now, I don't know how you feel about controversy and disagreements. I've got a little image I want to show up here on the screen for you. Anybody recognize this image right here? Right? Do you remember this a couple months ago? This singular image of a dress broke the internet for a couple of days because a lot of people would look at this and they'd say, well, that is completely obvious. I see black and I see blue. How many black and blue people do we have here? Not because you fell off your tractor yesterday. Okay, black and blue, right. And then you're talking to somebody else and they're like, what are you talking about? That is clearly a white and gold or yellow or who are those people here? Raise your hand really high like, wow, 50-50. What color is it in your mind? It's white. It's a wedding dress. It's white, apparently. White and gold, right? I don't know. But the point is, it's like, the same image, same image, perfectly logical, smart, intellectual people, and yet you're seeing it totally different ways. And that caused tension in families and at the workplace and among husbands and wives, perhaps. There's whole entire hashtag groups of people that said, you know, black and blue hashtag. Somebody even got a tattoo that said, I'm part of team black and blue dress. If you're that much into it and that angry about it, there's other issues that you need to work on in your life. But we know what we're talking about when we see something and it's just different perspectives, right? Well, this morning, we're going to be diving into an area of, of uh, theology, the theology of worship that a lot of people have a lot of different perspectives on. And the tough thing about worship as it pertains to the musical side of it, I'm just glad as a side note that I'm not like a worship pastor because, man, those guys just get beat up constantly in churches, right? I can't say that we have a whole lot of this in this body of believers, right? But in a lot of churches that I've known of and been a part of, it's like every single week they're writing stuff on the comment card or they're just making a beeline right after the service to talk about what they didn't like and, and how this was too loud or how this song was wrong or whatever else, right? And the tough thing about worship, though, honestly, is that everybody's got an opinion on the musical side of it. Right? There are some people that would be like, you know what, the music is just too loud. And there's other people that are like, man, turn it up on that song. I want the bass so loud I like feel it in my heartbeat. That's how I like to worship, right? Or there are some people who are like, man, why is it so dark in here? You know, like, what is this, a movie theater or a rock show? Or like, what, what's going on here? And other people were like, it's like a factory in here. I don't want to feel like everybody's looking at me. Create a little bit of mood so that we can, you know, not see each other and just focus on what's up front, right? Or maybe some people are like, man, you sing so many new songs. Another new song this week? What in the world? And other people are like, we just sing the same songs over and over and over and over again. Right? 
Or it's, man, that song's so complicated. Why are we using terminology from the 1700s and it's just all weird and it's, it's way too complicated. And other people are like, that song is just way too simple and trivial. You sing the same three words 85 times. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody been in churches where like you've seen this tension and this, these worship wars go on? That's the kind of church that I grew up in where, you know, this big trap drum set back here would have never been allowed. I mean, people literally would have had a heart attack on the spot had that been allowed, you know. And I went to a college where there were those similar things that were battles and it's like you kind of like... You know, there's this whole, you know, group of people that want to, that want a little bit of percussion, like percussion is good. Like that's good. We want to be resounding and that's okay. So let's like try and sneak it in here by way of like just a little djembe at first, you know, like one of these things. And then maybe we'll move on to like maybe an electric drum set because like we can still control the volume on it. It's not a real drum set, you know, and you, you know what I'm saying? Is anybody with me on these things? Some of you just came to Christ and you're like, what are you talking about? But man, if you've been around the church scene for a while, you're going to see and feel perhaps some of that tension. And part of the problem that we have is that terminology becomes theology. Terminology can become theology. And we see that example even in the idea of a church, right? The term is church. And we talk about, hey, or, let me meet you at church, or are you going to church, or I, you know, let's meet up in the church parking lot, or something crazy happened at church. And we kind of use that terminology, and so therefore that kind of trickles in, unaware that we talk about the church is like, well, that's a building, that's a church. But we all know from Acts and, 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 and other places that the church is people. The church has nothing really to do with the building, right? But to see how that trickles down, and in the same way, with worship, We've kind of whittled that whole area down to music. And man, I really love the worship this morning or what are we gonna do for worship next week or who's leading the worship or who's picking out the worship or we're gonna end with worship or I was listening to some worship and we have kind of whittled down that whole area just to the realm of music. And what we're gonna attempt to do here this morning is to talk about how worship is so much bigger and so much greater than merely a musical expression at a point in time. For me personally, you know, I battled through some of these when I was in middle school and in high school, grew up in a pretty conservative church, about 150 years old, like a just massive, big, gothic building. And kind of the, the idea that I had of God because of the way that we did church and the way that things looked was that God is very serious. He is very reverent. He sits on a throne because we actually had two huge thrones on our stage. Anybody come from a church that had the thrones on the stage? I mean, these things were like 300 pounds. They were massive, so the pastor was almost like the king. I'm not sure what went on on the other throne, but we had two thrones up there. But it's like God is very dignified. He doesn't like a lot of loud noise, doesn't like talking, doesn't like little kids running around. You know, and that's kind of was my view. And, and later on, I started to get a little bit of a different view and started to appreciate other kinds of music rather than just the straight up organ, <laughs> you know? And I can remember I was at this camp and I was working at this camp and I was just playing the acoustic, acoustic guitar. And the camp director came up to me and said, um, you know, Jerry, you really need to be careful about the guitar. 
really? She's like, oh yeah, because pretty soon the acoustic guitar is gonna lead you to those electric guitars that like those heavy metal evil people. And Jerry, just guitars scare me. Guitars scare me. That's what she said. So I thought about one night, like going out to the camp director's house, just taking my guitar and like just setting it on the stand right on her front porch and putting a little sign on it that says, I'm watching you. I didn't do it though. But let's dive into something a little bit greater and a little bit bigger than just the musical side of it. Let's talk about a definition of worship, a working definition for us this morning that says this, worship is God's revelation and it's our response. Worship is God's revelation and it's our response to that revelation. Now I need to tell you this morning, I've been reading some material and been heavily influenced on this area by a guy named John Piper and by a guy named Louis Giglio. And if you want more information on this whole concept of who God is and as it pertains to this kind of worship, there's a lot of great resources out there. But I want to talk basically about two different things this morning that God desires to redeem so that we can fully engage in, in biblical worship. Two things that God wants to redeem. And the first one that we're going to talk about in this first movement is he wants to redeem our affections. Our affections. The root for the word worship comes from the Old English and the idea is worth-ship. It's been shortened down for us in modern English, but the idea is, you know, you worship something that, that is of value to you. So when we talk about the idea of affections, we talk about what are the things that our hearts are turned towards? What are the things that get us really excited? What are the things that get us really angry when they don't go our way? In a very real sense, those are the things that you worship. Now, worship is very important to God. As a matter of fact, he cleared things up for us in Exodus chapter 20 when he gave the Ten Commandments because four out of the Ten Commandments have to do with this area right here. Affections and delight and idolatry. Because God said, I'm the one who's worthy of your affections and when you take those affections and misdirect them, you are breaking my commandments. First and the second commandments are obvious, right? Thou shalt have no graven image. You shouldn't worship any other God besides me. But then you also have the fifth commandment, right? Remember the Sabbath day. Set aside a day where you can focus on me and meditate on me and concentrate on me and rest from all of your labor. And then you've got the commandment that says do not covet. Do not look at other people's things and value them so much that you're, you forget how much I've given you. But man, if you really trace it down, you could look at every single commandment and you could say in some way or another, man, that, that has to do with idolatry. That has to do with worship. That has to do with what you value and valuing other things greater than how you value God. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 11. Just one passage. I'm going to be talking about a lot of different scriptures here this morning to help frame this. But uh, if you're going to turn someplace, that would be the one that I want you to focus on. But to start things out, I want to talk a little bit about a perspective. 
We talked about worship is God's revelation. Let's talk about that for a second. I've got a couple of scriptures here. Psalm 19, verse one, it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. When you just step back from that for a second and think about creation, And think about the fact that according to this, in a lot of other passages in Scripture, Romans talks about how all creation groans for that moment of redemption when it can be made new again because even creation is is cursed and broken and tattered. But yet at some level, all of creation, another passage in Psalm, talks about the trees of the field and the rocks will cry out. And here we've got the heavens declaring the glory of God. At some capacity, even nature is worshiping God. Even nature is reflecting. Even nature is glorifying and shouting praises to its maker eternally. Now, they don't have the same capacity that we do. They don't have a soul. They don't have the kind of intellect and will and emotions that we do as human beings. But at some level, you see that all the created beings have an affinity and an affection and a glory that goes back to their creator. Look at Psalm 90. It says this, Lord, you've been a dwelling place in all generations. Before even the mountains were brought forth and before you had formed the earth, And the world, you are God. God created the planets and the stars and hung them into place. And eternally, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, in every galaxy, in every universe, they are eternally shouting the praises of God. And then you get later on in Scripture, and God reveals to us here in Isaiah that his number one affection, his number one priority is not us. And I think that'll change things for us this morning as we think about worship. Because again, going back to the initial controversy that we've seen in a lot of churches is, what do I like? Well, what do I prefer? What do I think needs to be done? But God is saying, you know what? My number one affection is myself. God's saying, I recognize that I am the center of the universe and I need you to recognize that I am the center of the universe. Let's read a couple of passages of scripture here in Isaiah. It says it, Isaiah 43, bring back my sons from afar, he says, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have made for my own glory. I tell you what, you want to do an amazing word study, a little homework for next week, try and do a word search on that whole idea of for your name's sake in Scripture. And you see how much God does because his name is at stake and his glory is at stake. What about this one from Isaiah 42? He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or I'm not going to share my praise with any other idols. Your affection and your affinity and your delight is going to be most fulfilled when it's in me. And God's not talking about an hour on Sunday mornings. God's talking about the entirety of our lives. Because when we talk about our affections, 
We talk about lots of different things. We talk about the things that we spend our finances on. I'm gonna take a, take a look through that credit card statement on your website of your bank and you take a, that's, we could tell you that's, that's where the affections go. That's some of where worship is going. We can talk about physical capital in your life, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your hours, what you spend your time doing. That'll give a good clue as to what's being worshiped. Think about your intellectual capital, the things that your mind is dwelling on, the things that you're talking about constantly. That'll give a clue as to what's being worshiped. So I want us to think here a little bit this morning of our perspective and says, okay, well, God's at the center of the universe and God's saying, I am all about my glory and about my name. And we just need to upend and reorder things a little bit this morning. Because I think for many of us, the way we've been brought up and just our natural, our natural draw is to think that we are at the center of God's affections. To think that God's all about us, Right? I mean, we learned that from a young age. You know, you think about some of the songs that we've learned, you know. Oh, how he loves you and me. Right? Jesus loves me. This I know. Is that true? Absolutely it's true. But I think we've erred on the side that says God wants us to be happy and us to be satisfied and our world to be in order and we are at the top of his priority list. I was told when I was younger that, you know, God's in heaven right now and you know what he's doing? He's making a mansion for me. And my parents even said, well, you know, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, but he's been waiting 2,000 years. So you can imagine how incredible this mansion for me is gonna be because he's been working on it all this time. We are not at the top of God's priority of affection. And what God wants us to understand here this morning is that we are going to be most satisfied when we come into line and understand his glory and enter in to worship that says, I see everything that you've done. I recognize how beautiful and how amazing and how awesome you are. And I just want to pour out my affections upon that. I want to focus on that. I want to take myself out of the equation. And I just want to focus on who you are. Here in Romans chapter 11, we get an incredible thought where the Apostle Paul is laying out this unbelievable argument about who God is and about what he did and about how now the blessings of God and his love is being poured out not just on the nation of Israel, but now everyone's invited. And it's coming on the tail end of Romans chapter eight, that incredible passage that just talks about like, oh, uh, you know, the, the riches of God and the love of God and how deep and how wide there's nothing that can separate us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Coming at the tail end of that entire incredible passage and here in Romans chapter 11, in verse 33, he hits the pause button. And literally, most commentators agree, this is either an, an ancient song that he inserts in there, or this is a song that he created at this point and just throws in, bursts forth into song. And here's what he says. Oh, the depth 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory. And when we think about this idea of worship and value and affection and what we're pouring it out on, maybe for some of us you're like, well, I, I worship God in other ways. I mean, I give offering to the offering, you know, container back there. And I, you know, and I, I've done a lot of great things and I've accomplished a lot of great things. And what Paul's saying right here is, no, we are absolutely nothing if not for what God did for us. Any accomplishments that you've made through your work or through your employment, you did it with the mind that God gave you. So everything belongs to him, by him, and for him, and to him, and through him. And so worship is all-encompassing. And I want us just to dwell on that thought I want you to think about creation. I want you to think about revelation. And I want you to think about how we see God in all these different realms of our lives. And how God has been around for millions and millions and millions of years as we recognize them way beyond that because truly he is timeless. And I want us just to think this morning about all the other things that we've allowed to creep in, all the other affections that have taken away some of that glory. But we want to continue on. So I had you turn to Romans chapter 11 before. I want you to turn one chapter over to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, we've got a lot of other things that are going to be on the screen, but that's kind of where we want to, where we want to end. So we've talked about how worship is God's revelation and our response and that he alone is worthy of our affections. He redeems our affections. The second piece of it is that he alone is worthy of our actions. He's redeeming our actions. So we've got affections and then we've got actions as well. In some of my study this week on this whole idea of worship, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, there's over 50 different words that are used in the context of Old Testament worship. And what I've done for us is I've kind of whittled them down to maybe seven or eight that we've got here on the screen. And I just want to go through these for us because I do think it's important to recognize, okay, so what should my worship look like? Not just when we're playing music, but in life, when I'm meditating on God, when I'm thinking about God, when I'm dwelling on God, when I'm talking about God, what are some of the actions that go along with that? The first word that we see is barak. Everybody say barak. And get that little thing on the end. That's, that's a really fun little trick that adds a little punch and makes you look like you know what you're talking about. But that is the Hebrew word for bless. That's what we see all the time in scripture. You know, the passage that says, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the word. And what's really interesting about this word is it carries along the idea of reverence and kneeling in the picture that you see is somebody coming before a dignitary, a king or somebody high in authority and kneeling in reverence. But another piece of that word to bless carries along the idea of the giving of a gift. 
So it's kneeling down and presenting something. That's the word. And I don't know if you've ever been confused a little bit when you've heard somebody say, well, God, we just want to bless you this morning. Or maybe you read, as the psalmist said, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. Like, we don't really talk about that in our context, right? We talk about the blessings from God. Like, oh, Lord, I've been so hashtag blessed this week, you know? Or like, Lord, thank you for all of your blessings, all the gifts that you've given to me. But part of our worship involves this same word, kneeling in reverence, but also giving gifts to God. Offering something to God. So Lord, I'm giving you this morning my attention. I'm giving you my heart's focus. I'm giving you my mind's energy. These are the gifts that I want to give. And you know, the music's going to start. I want to focus. I want to look at those words. I want to dwell on those words. I want to sing out those words. Maybe for some of you, you're like, that's not really a gift. That's more of like a torture, you know, but God knows, God understands and God doesn't care. Amen? Yeah, he wants us to sing out no matter what we sound like. It's okay. Another term we're going to talk about is making a joyful noise unto the Lord. And maybe that's a little bit more accurate for some, for some here. But regardless, it talks about, God, here's what I want to give to you. I want to honor you with this gift. I want to bless you here even this morning. The second one is an interesting Hebrew word used in the context of worship. Check out the meaning of this one. To spin around under the influence of violent emotion. Try picturing this as part of our worship here, right? What is that even going to look like? Violent emotions spinning around? Well, that was something apparently that happened 2,000 years ago. And it was people that were so enthralled with God that they were literally singing and shouting with everything that they were worth and they didn't care who was around. And you talk about us as people, and we are emotional people. Again, you go back to that first element of affections. And man, we get excited about the things that we're affectionate about, right? For many of us guys especially, we think about the sports world. And we think about where the cheering and you know, high fives and excitement takes place, right? When your team's doing really well. And the opposite is also true. When your team's doing pretty poorly... How many people have, you know, allowed that to get the best of them as far as emotions go? I remember one of the first times I was visiting my wife's family, my girlfriend at the time, and we're up at this cottage, and I'm sitting there next to her dad, who is a, who's a very dignified, pastoral, you know, like, reverent man, very mild-mannered and pleasant, and he was watching Syracuse University football game. That's where they live up there, and it was like the, you know, in the last 30 seconds, the guy from Syracuse threw an interception. They ran it all the way back for a touchdown. They lost the game, and my man lunges out of his chair onto the ground, spread out on the ground, double fisting. No, 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 no. And I'm just like sitting there sipping my lemonade. <laughs> What has become of this man? How did this happen? We're emotional about the things that we're passionate about. And here, this word, I don't know what it looked like back then. I'm not sure what it would look like right now. But this is Strong's Concordance, and this is one of the words. Spinning around, violent emotion with all your might. Even think about David, right, in Scripture. 
That one passage where he's coming in with the ark of the Lord and it says he was dancing with all of his might. I mean, with all of his might. Think about that for a second. You know, most guys, when they're dancing out at the wedding, it's, you know, just something a little bit like this, you know. When's this going to be done so I can get out of here, right? But David was going after it. With all of his might, sweating, leaping, jumping. We don't know what kind of dancing it was. But no matter what kind it was, he was going for it. And God was pleased. And other people were, oh my goodness, what is he doing? And that famous line, he says, I will become even more undignified than this. You can't hold back this zeal and this love that I have for God. Because when you're in love with God and when you see his glory and see his beauty... Everything else pales in comparison. Keep on going down. Hallel, maybe you've heard this one before. It means to praise, to make a show, or to rave about, to glory in, or to boast. You think about all these other things that come into our lives that we get super excited about. This new house that you bought or this new car that you got or this new outfit that you got or that flavor of ice cream or that restaurant or that new drink that they have over there at Starbucks or Norwax or essential oils or whatever else it is that creeps in that you know people that can't stop talking about that. This is what it is about God. I'm going to boast in, I'm going to glory in, I'm going to talk about, this is going to define me. That's what worship is. Keep going down. The next one means to creak, to emit a stridulous sound, which is, I had to look at a whole other dictionary for that word. To shout aloud for joy. The whole idea of just this epic shout of glory and praise. Old Testament talks about how they sounded like a sound of war at times when they were worshiping. The next one you get to bow down, to fall down flat in loyalty and honor, to bow down. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, Psalm 94. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. And you get the next one. To jump for joy, to exult, to triumph, to cheer. And it goes on and on. And and these are just a few out of 50 plus And you get the idea in the Old Testament that man, when they put their focus on God and their attention on God, there was a response when they heard about the things that God did and when they dwelled on who he was, they they let that affect them and infect them. The point about every single one of these worship words, these terms, is that they're active, they're not passive. If we want to be a worshiping church and we want to be a worshiping people, that's going to involve action, not passivity. And I want to be very careful to say, you know what? If you just want to sit there and even if you don't sing, but you're just looking at those words and in your heart and in your mind and you're just there, that's great. I by no means want to say, hey, when we're worshiping here, it needs to look like this or these are the only people that are holy are the ones that are jumping and swirling with violent emotion or I'm not saying anything like that but what I am saying is this needs to be a place of freedom and what I am saying is when we come here for the musical part of worship that should be the culmination of a week that has been spent focused and worshiping on God's revelation focused on his revelation and responding to who he is 
One passage I just want to close with here is in Romans chapter 12. And here we get another part of action, not just the action that goes along with, man, the corporate body and singing, that's great, but the action that goes along with the idea that worship is much more than just a song. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Remember, just at the tail end of this massive instruction that he gave, the celebration of who God is and what he's done for us, and that everybody's invited now into this relationship. And Paul says, okay, I appeal to you. I'm urging you. I'm begging you. Listen to this. He says, by the mercies of God, I'm appealing to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and that's a huge word right there you know why all the other sacrifices were dead well they were living at one point whether it be a dove or a goat or a ram or something else they were living but they were sacrificed and they were dead he's saying nope I want you to crawl up upon this altar living and offer yourselves to God as what holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship that's how you spiritually show God worth and affection and value is by offering up yourself and when you think about that and you think about all the different things that we're involved with it doesn't take too long to start to trace down that okay so everything that I do can be worship pushing those carts after kids ministry is done and loading them up on the trailer that's a spiritual act of worship if maybe you're in high school maybe you're in college and man you're just home alone on Friday night because you didn't want to go out with that group of friends you knew what that party was going to be like you knew what that movie was going to be about so you're just content to just stay at home and hang out with your parents and play a board game or just that's a spiritual act of worship because it's saying God I value you and who you are so much that I don't want to go to any place where I'm going to be ashamed I'd rather just stay here and do away with that and God I just want to be here that's part of worship as well what you value maybe it's not getting cable because you want to be on a budget so that you can give more to God's work that's a spiritual act of worship Maybe it's losing your job because you've got integrity and had to turn into a whistleblower. Maybe it's sweating in the sun because you're serving someone else and helping them move. Those are all spiritual acts of worship. And that's all encompassed in responding to God because of who he is. So what do we do with all this? All these ideas. What doors does this whole theology of worship open for us and what doors does it close for us well as our band comes out I just want to highlight a couple of quick things for you what doors does it close for us first one worship is all about personal preference and style it's what I like that's the way it should be and I'm not going to engage unless it's like that you look at a biblical theology of worship and that sorry that's shut think about what heaven's going to be like and you think about all the variety that we're going to have there I mean, man, look at all the worship styles that we've seen just in the last 50 years in America, let alone 200 years ago or 600 or 1,000 or 1,500 or 3,000 years ago. Who knows what it's going to be like up there, but I guarantee you it's not only going to be like what we do right here. 
Because every nation and every tribe and every tongue is going to be involved. And God digs variety. I mean, just read down Psalm 151 and take a look at all the different instruments that you see there. Just look in the Old Testament about his instructions for the tabernacle and what he wanted that to be. And all the different metals and fabrics and all the different, all the different architecture and the different kinds of wood and everything else. It can all give glory to God. We need to be ready for that. Closes the door that says worship is just about music. What doors is it open for us? Well, all of our compartments that we've established, those can all be destroyed. When we think about mm, worship is just for 30 minutes on Sunday morning or just when I'm listening to that particular CD or that particular music, every single piece of life, we can show God worth and value and respond to him. How about this one? God will inhabit your life more when you worship him with your affections and with your actions. We see in scripture that, man, once we're saved, God views us a certain way, and that's awesome. We're redeemed, we're, we're ready, and we're, we're not held responsible for our sins. But at the same time, man, God is continuing to work on us. And the more we can dwell on who he is and turn areas of our life centered on him and his glory, the more we're gonna experience the fellowship of God and the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Finally, it opens the door of freedom and authenticity. Man, if every time we walk in here as part of this corporate worship, if we can just imagine that Jesus is sitting on the throne, just like he would be in heaven, and when we're singing these songs, it's not just, oh, that's familiar, or oh, that's new, but we're looking at those words, and we're just imagining, I'm not singing for the people next to me, I'm not singing for the band, I'm focused my attention on Jesus, holy son of God. I want to sing about him, and I want to sing to him, and I want to give everything I have for him. That's what worship is. Man, I tell you, if I could leave you with, uh, with one thought, it's, it's this. In John chapter 4, we see that Jesus is actually looking for something. We see that several times throughout the Gospels where Jesus is looking for something. He's seeking something, right? We hear parables about that, about the last sheep and, and about the prodigal son and everything else. But in John chapter 4, it says that God is seeking worshipers, true worshipers, that worship him in spirit. They belong to him and they worship him in truth. So this morning, let's just um, focus on that and let's respond and let's let this worship continue. After we exit this building, after we get to our homes, after we have our lunch, tomorrow morning back to work and Wednesday and Saturday and next week and six months from now and nowhere, no matter where God brings you, you can be worshiping. Let's just keep that focus. God, we thank you for who you are and Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation. And God, we just ask that you would continue to help this be a worshiping church. Father, may we just bring your light and your glory to the places that you send us to, all the different places that you've allotted for us in our workplace, in our homes. Yeah, God, and I just pray that we would uh, be able to respond to you now, God. We love you. In your son's name we pray.